to the Let's Talk Crypto podcast, where we discuss the latest Bitcoin, blockchain, and digital asset news. Hey, everybody. Hope you're all well. I'm your host, Wes Carlson. This is episode 25 of the Let's Talk Crypto podcast. It was recorded on the 18th of September, 2019. This is chapter one of the Bitcoin Influencer series, a set of interviews with influencers in the Bitcoin and cryptocurrency space, many of whom I've been following for quite some time. They're all passionate about Bitcoin and each contribute to the space in their own way. Today, I have Vortex. He is a well-known content creator and outspoken Bitcoin supporter who loves sound money and personal sovereignty. We had a really great discussion, which included some exciting predictions. I hope you enjoy it. Let's talk to the man himself. Let's get going. All right, man. Well, welcome to Let's Talk Crypto. This is episode 25 and we've got the famous Vortex on with us today. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, welcome, my man. Uh, It's an absolute honor having you on. I've been watching you for a few years now and I think I can track you back to about... 2015 on the Bitcoin. This I think you did it on Sundays. Is that right? The Bitcoin show? Or what? It's kind of funny. It's moved uh, various different days. It's uh, and that was really mainly to accommodate guests, not so much to accommodate ratings per se, as as a couple of people might have suggested. It was actually just to accommodate guests uh, in various parts of the world. So we were on Mondays at one point. Then we went to Fridays, and then we went to Sun. Oh, sorry, we went to Mondays, then Saturdays, and then Sundays. And so now that's where we've stayed. Uh, we're still at Sundays. Uh, every other Sunday at noon Pacific. I totally get that. I mean, trying to schedule these things is a real pain in the butt. But I mean, even more so for you, because what I liked about your show right from the beginning was that you had several people on panel style and there was this whole free flowing conversation going on about Bitcoin. And I learned so much from listening to your show and I would never miss it. My family hate you. (laughs) <laughs> oh no <laughs> tell them I'm sorry for whatever I did <laughs> I'll tell you why because we would go for a Sunday drive in my car and I got two sons um, at that time okay there was only one son but I've got two now and ever since I've been listening to your show and when I drive, I drive them around we go on a family drive on a Sunday I'd play it uh, obviously via my phone but through the surround sound system in my car and they had to listen to an hour or two of, uh, of your talk show. It was like, you know, tortured. Oh, dad, Bitcoin again. Oh, we're listening. To- Is that the Vortex talking? They actually know your voice. I mean, so. Oh, that's funny. Uh, that's, no, that's really great to hear. You know, it's funny um, how, how many uh, people uh, really exhaust the patience of their friends, family, you know, um, uh, co-workers and so on, right? So this is pretty much uh, the same reason why I actually started the show. Uh, uh, pretty much all of my family went the same. They got sick of my voice uh, as well, believe it or not. Uh, my own family, uh, girlfriend, you know, or uh, wife, uh, friends, family, pretty much everybody, you know, at some point got, got sick of me uh, talking about it. So I, that was one of the actual inspirations for starting the show. So that's where I picked you up was when it was on the World Crypto Network and you were with, I think, I don't know if Mad Bitcoin at the time. And, you know, obviously there were various different shows in that. And, but now you've, you've moved along and now you're with the CryptoCast Network or you've started the CryptoCast Network from what I understand. Oh, that's correct. I actually founded the, the CryptoCast Network uh, YouTube channel. Yes. 
That's right. Yeah. And uh, moving on to bigger and greater things on your side of things. I remember back in the day, I, mean, I, I met quite a lot of the, the Bitcoin people that I follow now via your show. I mean, I, like people like Francis Puglio, uh, excuse my pronunciation. Uh, <laughs> it's tough. Uh, Francis Pouliot, Pouliot. I think that's probably the technical, but I don't even know. <laughs> Exactly. You know, people like that, uh, Trace Mayer. Yeah. I actually have first heard him on your show. Um, and I can probably rattle them off. John of, uh, Bitrefill. I can't remember his last name. Uh, John Cavallo. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So a lot of the cool guys that I like to follow and listen to, especially if they're involved in a panel discussion, I actually met through your show. So it's, as I said, it's an honor to have you on. Absolutely great, great to hear. I, I, that was really uh, that was really a big inspiration for getting all the guests and panels because I just wanted to create a show that I liked and that I wanted to hear uh, and that I would like to be able to hear. And uh, really, that's what it was is is that free flowing discussion. That was really uh, the end goal. Yeah, and were you doing anything related to content creation before that? Absolutely not. Uh, pretty much Bitcoin took over my life. Uh, so, you know, I mean, I found it in 2012. I really started understanding it in 2013, started commenting on Coindesk 2014 and 2015. Uh, then on, and, and then in Twitter on 2015 and 2016, started my show at the end of 2015. And uh, yeah, I just kind of kept following further and further down the rabbit hole. Coindesk, I didn't realize you did. Uh, what did you create content for them or uh, write so for art? Coindesk? Uh, for Coindesk, I actually uh, did comments. So I was uh, I was in the comment section because really there was a big actual Bitcoin community in on the Coindesk website back in the day before really before crypto Twitter got big and took off. This was back in the day. Um, really, uh, the, 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 that was the only place you could have civilized discussion because essentially there was Reddit, right? And then and then that was pretty much it. Uh, that was really much it. So so uh, so Coindesk became a really big community um, for. Uh, for actually, uh, for actual crypto, uh, Bitcoin, specifically Bitcoin discussion um, uh, on the internet. And really um, after that, uh, sort of everybody kind of migrated uh, to crypto Twitter as that started to get bigger and bigger. So it was really um, already, uh, Coindesk uh, comments was pretty much dead by like um, 2017. Yeah, I, I must say, I never ever went there. I mean, I did use uh, Reddit and Bitcoin talk uh, back in the day. It was probably but... dead by 2016, really. I mean, it only lasted about a, a year or two. Okay. And, and I suspect you never, ever used the, the forums at bitcoin.com, right? I actually didn't. Um, I mean, of course, I've read a lot. Uh, you know, that's where you go to find yeah. the history, a lot of history of Bitcoin. But no, I actually never did comment on the forums. Uh, absolutely not. Uh, I went from Coindesk. Um, I didn't really like, enjoy Reddit that much uh, because mostly because of the, uh, <laughs> I guess it wasn't really professional enough for me to be able to have a good discussion. Uh, so there was a little bit too much static, a little bit too much noise. So for me, there was really only Coindesk. And then I found Twitter. And of course, that is where I've, I've stayed and will we'll continue to stay. Yeah. So for me, um, really, I was sort of, I guess you could say I was sort of primed already maybe to receive Bitcoin uh, because of course I was already on the Alex Jones bandwagon back then a little bit, uh, you know, just trying to figure out the history of money and, and the history of, of how this planet uh, sort of decided to govern itself essentially, right? Uh, over the centuries. And uh, there's been, uh, you know, dating all the way back to, of course, uh, you know, when it was just, when it was religion ruling everything and things like that to, to the Kings and the clergy and such. Uh, but, uh, really, uh, so I had a, a focus on that, you know, I sort of saw the path that the world was heading in. I saw the, uh, the, the essentially, um, um, the curve that we were heading on there. So, um, what, when I found, so when I first read about Bitcoin, um, uh, from a Slashdot article, uh, that was the the that uh, the very first oh, wow. one that I had, uh, the very first uh, article that I read about Bitcoin because it was already in my purview. I'm, a, I'm actually a web developer, so I was already a technical person, you know, reading these geeky forums yeah. like Slashdot. And so I found that article, uh, I found the the Silk Road article uh, uh, on uh, on Slashdot, 
And I was like, holy smokes, what, what is this? You know, I had no idea. I mean, I, of course, immediately, just like everybody else, like Andreas Antonopoulos, like everybody, you know, dismissed it pretty much right away. Um, dismissed it as pretty much World of Warcraft gold, internet money, didn't really, really find it too fascinating. What I found more fascinating was the actual existence of Silk Road. The fact that this, um, the, this, the self-governed body outside of the uh, purview or the control of the state was, was existing. Like it was a self-governing entity and uh, it was a people with a creed. And, and I just couldn't believe that, uh, you know, that, that actually was existing. That was for me really the most fascinating thing. And on top of that was, again, the community where if you went on Silk Road, you would actually see um, all the reviews. And almost if you look at the studies that were done, all of the uh, reviews on, on most of the reviews of, this, uh, of the items were all like rating four out of five or five out of five. Like most, like 90% of them was five out of five. There was an actual like, you know, like real thriving community of goods and services and, and respect and things like that. And so a real economy. Yeah, real economy. And so that just really fascinated, fascinated me to no end there. And then that is what essentially reading more about Silk Road led me to read more about Bitcoin. And that, of course, uh, led me down the rabbit hole. So really it wasn't until, I found it in 2012, but it probably wasn't until uh, end of 2013 or maybe even middle to end of 2013 that it really started uh, striking me as this, this opportunity at, at, to be a financial system outside of the state. This, this really an actual competitor to uh, the status quo. So you actually saw Bitcoin in action. In other words, you saw a marketplace or an economy that was operating and had no business operating. In other words, why wasn't it shut down? Like, how is this thing allowed to exist in, in a world where the smallest things are shut down like immediately? And you investigated, dug a little bit further and found, ah, free money, as in free, you know, sovereign money. In other words, money that can exist outside the control of the state was actually lubricating the cogs, enabling this to happen. And, and not just even that, but I mean, I was a web developer and I didn't really even know about Tor, the, the Tor network. So that led me down wow. that rabbit hole. Well, the privacy rabbit hole uh, of Tor and things like that. I already had known about, you know, uh, again, you know, uh, Certain, certain understandings of government and, and, and money and the state and economics, uh, just basic understandings, very surface scratching stuff. Uh, again, because mostly I was just a web developer, a programmer for, uh, for the most part. So I didn't really have a background in economics, mathematics or anything like sure. that. Um, so, but, but, but man, uh, you know, <laughs> that was a huge, huge, just crash course in economics for me. And, and really I learned a lot and started reading a lot, started under, started reading about, you know, Austrian economics, started reading about all, all sorts of, uh, various histories of, of money, just money itself. And, uh, and all through the years, of course, you know, that you, you get led to the big, the big circular stones as well. And even uh, safety and uh, put that in his book, the, the Bitcoin standard. So it's just fascinating. This huge, this huge history of how humans decided to actually uh, transact value. And, and really it brought the, the Silk Road and Bitcoin uh, brought it all, uh, all to the forefront for me. And, and really um, once I found Bitcoin, even Silk Road became just very, very, very less fast. I was actually, uh, before it even got shut down, I was already almost bored with it. I'm just, and just, just, just focused on Bitcoin itself, just, just completely hands yeah. down on Bitcoin. The innovation was Bitcoin, not, not, not the Silk Road, basically. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's what you, that's what you, basically, that's what I discovered. It was yeah. actually, uh, it was cool. So cool technology, you know, to, over the tour network and things like that. But no, it was, it was Bitcoin uh, that was the center of it all. Do you think there's a common thread in the type of person that sort of is into Bitcoin at the moment? In other words, that like you started off saying that you hinted towards the fact that you might have been a little bit of a conspiracy sort of bug, you know, you, that type of thing. And one thing led to another and you discovered Bitcoin via the Silk Road and, and things like that. Do you think that there's a sort of common thread that we can pin down that a person who's involved in Bitcoin today, or do you think it's got to a stage where it's really broadened and is starting to appeal to a wider spectrum of people? 
Yeah, so at this point, uh, and I still continue to say this on my podcast, it's really, really early days still. I, I probably won't start stop saying that until probably around 2024. Uh, you know, at that point, governments uh, might, might start to hold it, but definitely large corporations will be holding it and, and large entities. And so it's, it's, um, it's really, really early, early days still. I mean, you know, I mean, between 2020, uh, 2024 is when I expect, like I say, uh, the Lightning Network to be in full swing. Uh, uh, and as common as a PayPal phone uh, to, to, to have the node uh, software itself built into routers, you know, by 2028 for sure, uh, built into operating systems and routers. Because remember, uh, I don't know if your audience knows, but, you know, like, for example, TCP IP, the actual TCP IP stack itself, the protocol stack, the open source protocol stack was not built into Windows originally. Like that was not built into Windows until Windows 95. Uh, Windows 3.1, you actually had to go and, you know, download the stack and configure it and then configure the modem to use that and then download a web browser, compile that and then configure the web browser to use your, your modem. So it, it was a, it was a whole, it was basically where we are right now in Bitcoin. And so I see the whole thing repeating over and over again. This is why I can make these predictions so easily. Uh, so for me, I see it all re replaying again. And this is absolutely what, what, what Bitcoin is going to do. So, you know, I, I, again, very, very early days right now, but we can see the path, the trajectory is absolutely clear. Uh, we have all of the seven network effects. That, that Trace Mayer outlines all the time. The biggest one right now, uh, of course, is, is speculation, but that, 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 that's always going to be pretty big for a while until, until we get a big enough circular economy. But then we have the financialization of Bitcoin on Wall Street. That's going huge uh, and things like that. But uh, again, Bitcoin really, at the, uh, I mean, arguably is going to be a joke until we're, we're, until we're at least a trillion dollar market cap, you know, to, to the average uh, person in finance, to the average global economic or macro hedge fund under, you know, person who's understanding this stuff uh, and trading this stuff. So uh, once we get past a trillion, then we can start... Uh, actually start becoming um, noticeable uh, and really be on the radar. Uh, we're, you could argue we're on the radar a bit right now, somewhere between the ninth and 12th, you know, largest currency on the planet. But that's still, it's still, we're literally still less of a market cap than the net worth of Jeff Bezos. <laughs> so it's, it's very, very, <laughs> now, as far as the, who, who the person is that it attracts, really, uh, because we are in early days, it is going to attract more of this um, ideological type of person, a person who's probably a little bit more woke than the average citizen. Uh, and that is, that's really important. But um, fair enough. Remember, we, we, get, we gain these new users and cycles because of Bitcoin's halving. And this is also where all of my predictions are centered around, is halvings, 2024, 2024 2028, yeah. and so on. Yeah. And so because I mean, of that, this- That type of, that wave of adoption, that, that's sort of baked into the system. I absolutely. mean, I mean Satoshi even refers to it, you know, that it's sort of going to- a, a result of how it's been designed. Yeah, so real quick, just, just to complete the thought, as soon as, you know, when we, when we get those big run-ups, that's when you get your average regular person, maybe get rich person or just person who's thinking about maybe savings. But then when in the bear markets, right, when we get new people there, that's going to be more of the ideological person. And that cycle cycle is going to continue until Bitcoin is large enough to where, it, to where people are using it without actually understanding it. If you look at the surveys, the average person doesn't even know they're using the internet when they're on Facebook. <laughs> I did not know that. that. That blows my mind. That blows my mind and it, that's a great example as to what we could expect when somebody, for example, in the future is streaming money via the Lightning Network. Absolutely. They're going to be on a YouTube channel. They're going to be receiving money in like real time and they're just going to be like, oh, yeah, this is, this is how it's done. You guys didn't yeah. do this? <laughs> yeah. You don't know what TCP IP is? Basically, this is the TCP IP of money. You didn't know that. Absolutely. This is what we call, um, the, we call we're calling the stack essentially at this point uh, BNP LP uh, to sort of mirror the, DC, the TCP IP stack, which is of course the, the, the Bitcoin protocol and the Lightning Network protocol. Yeah. Seen you uh, pushing that on Twitter. I've liked it every time and shared it. So don't worry. I agree. hundred percent. Awesome. There must have been some people in the very beginning stages that you can remember reflecting back now in hindsight that you saw as mentors or people that you, to this day, you can remember that gave you some aha moments or enlightened you in, in, this, in a specific way? 
Sure. I was, I would assume probably the biggest person in my mind is, is, is probably Andreas Antonopoulos. I think, you know, with that first talk back in 2013, um, I think that's when, you know, it really started to, um, I think that was a big aha moment for me. Cause again, understanding it as, as this financial system was, you know, sort of was very scratching the surface. And then Andreas really put it into perspective about the central, uh, or sorry, about the decentralization and the censorship resistance. Uh, so that was really uh, where, where, the, where that aha moment came to me was, was from Andreas, uh, so in 2013. So that was probably going to be my biggest, absolute biggest influence. But that's what's beautiful is that, um, uh, you know, I do try to get voices that I believe uh, have something to say, something valuable to say about Bitcoin. I try to try to give them a bigger microphone via my show and via my Twitter account. And so there's just been really so many people over the years uh, that have given me insight and information. And for those people, uh, I do try to you know give them more attention. And uh, there's been a couple, of course, over the years that didn't quite work out so well, right? Like uh, Andy Hoffman, uh, to name a couple, yeah. right? <laughs> Richard yeah. Hart, a couple of, you know, uh, very intelligent people, you know, very intelligent people. And that's great. And they actually did, did some, uh, some amazing and interesting contributions to the conversation of Bitcoin uh, while they still understand, the while time. they still... At the time. time, at the time, right? And so, and so that's that's been great. But but again, there's just been so many uh, so many people. And uh, if you if you've been following me long enough, you'll you'll pretty much know who all those people are because they'll be on my show, right? And so they'll be on my Absolutely. show. They'll, they'll be me tweeting about them. They'll be me uh, talking about them. They'll be me retweeting about them. Uh, I guess another person that, that comes to mind would probably be Dan Held. Uh, yeah. Maybe. Drew, uh, I can never pronounce his last name. Um, uh, he's over there, I think, at Adamant Capital. Ca- Adamant Capital. Um, he, oh, he's a, uh, actually a, a scientist, a physicist, actually. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. It yes, starts yes. with a B. His last name yes, starts with I, a B. I know, about. I know who you're talking about. Oh, man. It's also slipped my yeah. mind now. But I mean, also exactly. Trace Mayer. He's also oh, of course. Of course. Uh, the Trace Mayer's network effects and his Mayer multiple was another aha moment yeah. for me. Again, yeah. uh, that was a uh, that was uh, yeah yeah I, Dan and uh, Drew are more recent, but yeah, dating back, you know, Andreas uh, and Trace are the two biggest ones. Then Max Kaiser uh, sort yeah. of really put into perspective the amount like of manipulation that was possible uh, in the current financial system because you know you hear you, you sort of have this high level ten thousand foot understanding, but then Max laid out actual you know uh, numbers and actual accounts and actual um, events uh, that you know that you can look and say okay wow look at the look at the tens and hundreds of billions of dollars of fraud that you can actually point to in black and white that these banks are committing every single year and so that was a big aha moment uh, for me as well. Um, yeah, those are the biggest ones, I think. Yeah, I think Max also brought the, the other side of uh, the walls. You know, he brought the other perspective. You know, in other words, we always suspect these things. We always talk about them and like, yeah, banks this, banks that, governments this, governments that. But he actually brought the figures and the facts in his elaborate and flowery way of, of presenting it, of course, which is also catchy. He, he made it real. Absolutely. You know? And uh, I think, yeah, we owe him a lot as a community um, for what he's done. And the amount of awareness he's brought about is, is incredible, especially with the platform that he's got on, on his show. Absolutely. How did you get your hands on your first Bitcoin? Uh, I think it was like MoneyGram and the red phone. Uh, you wire, <laughs> I, I wired an account, right? So empty Gox, essentially. Okay. So empty Gox. Wired, um, wired with via the red phone money to empty Gox, and there was some bank account that I had to do, and uh, I was like a thousand dollars or something like that, and uh, yeah, that was where I got my first coin was empty Gox. Uh, okay. Gox. Did you get hurt on the empty Gox? Uh, uh, no, absolutely not. I, I saw the warning sign six to nine months before, like it crashed. I mean, it, they were freezing accounts, they were freezing uh, uh, various types of withdrawals, they were freezing the ability to. Um, uh, it, it, 
like add more money. There was just so many things that they were doing. To me, it was just red sign after red sign after red sign. So, uh, and of course I tweeted about it, but for me, uh, there were so many warning signs about six to nine months before leading all the way up to the final crash. So no, I, I was definitely uh, out of there. Uh, I did not want to speculate. I did not. I mean, the big, I mean, when, when, when accounts start, when withdrawals starting, getting started to get started to get frozen, that's where I start. To, that's when I walk away <laughs> when, when people are freezing people's accounts and the ability yeah. to withdraw. Uh, that's when I walk away. So yeah, I was, uh, I was fortunate enough to leave there about six to nine months before it actually collapsed. Jeez, you're well ahead of the pack there. I mean, it kind of reminds you of, of banks, yeah? When they start uh, freezing withdrawals and that. So yeah, that was like the, anti, the antithesis of what Bitcoin's all about. Um, very lucky though to have escaped that one. But, Absolutely. You know, I, I mean, my wife still remember, uh, you know, watching the, the ticker when it finally froze. It was a very surreal moment. Uh, you know, it was a very terrifying and surreal, scary moment because obviously at that point, Mt. Gox held 80 plus percent of the, the world's Bitcoin liquidity. So uh, it, was a, it was a very um, wake up call, again, to how early we were back then and how early we are still. Uh, we, we, get, we get wake up calls all the time. Um, but yeah, th th that was uh, an, an epic moment that I don't think we'll ever forget. Yeah, I mean, there's actually a recording of Andreas, I think on... I don't know what show it was. It might've been the world crypto network or it yep. might've uh, where he's at, the price is actually crashing and, and all mayhem is breaking loose and they're actually commentating about it as it's going on. And, and it was Ray's, the world crypto network. yeah, yeah, exactly. And Andres actually commentates. He says, um, yes, like this is going to change things going forward. Like, you know, this is going to be an event that will be remembered well into the future and be quoted many times over. But you know what? It's also uh, school fees being paid by, by many people. And I think since then, and I've heard you've even said multiple times on many episodes, you know, don't store your Bitcoins on, on an exchange. No matter how safe and secure you may think it may be, uh, things do go wrong. And uh, Bitcoin inherently is designed to be held uh, you, you're supposed to be in control of your keys, you know, in control of your Bitcoin. Well, of course, we're not, we got nothing against speculation. That's one of Bitcoin's biggest network yes. effects. And so, you know, of course, people are, are going to uh, put money on exchanges and trade. And that's fine, guys, like whatever you want to do. But what, what, of course, what, we, what we're saying here is that don't put any money on, the big, on, on an exchange that you're not fully prepared to lose entirely. Yes. And, and obviously, with everything, minimize your risk, reduce your exposure. Yeah, I think is the, the takeaway from that, you know. Absolutely. What is, your, what is your absolute, pin it down to one thing for us, Vortex. What is your absolute favorite property of Bitcoin? One thing. One thing. Definitely the 21 million cap. Uh, that's definitely, uh, there's just nothing else. Uh, you, know, the, you know, Trace has said it millions, millions of times. Really, the only thing that's scarce in this universe is Bitcoin and time. Uh, that's it. There's nothing else that, uh, that we can't recreate somehow, some way with some kind of technology and, you know, in the distant future and things like that. So uh, really uh, what, what it boils down to then is, is mathematics, right? The, the universe is fundamentally um, oriented in such a way that we can allow cryptographic proofs to be unbreakable, literally unbreakable uh, to the point to where mathematics uh, inherently allows us to have privacy, inherently allows us to hold value as an individual. So inherently making us, you know, um, a self-sovereign individual inherently creating uh, self-sovereignty. So um, that is probably the most important property by far. But of course you can't just use that obviously because <clears throat> there's always going to be somebody that's going to sure. try to inflate that. So that's why we have uh, the beautiful, uh, the beautiful rules of the beautiful full nodes out there that are validating every single block. Absolutely. Okay. Well, fair enough. I think I'd have to agree with you on that. And I think most, uh, most people would as well. Um, so now turning it on its head, if there was one thing, 
that you could change about Bitcoin. And I mean anything, including consensus rules. But without causing a fork or splitting the community, what would that be? Uh, <clears throat> everything. That, that, that's, that's the thing about Bitcoin is that, uh, and this is what I tweeted this all through 2017 and 2018, but people didn't believe me. And, but they believe me now after the UASF is that any yeah. single change really in Bitcoin is going to be contentious. Any single uh, proposal that you put in Bitcoin, even if it's a software, it's going to be contentious to some. So the idea is to try to get 90 plus percent, you know, consensus. So you can never get 100 percent consensus on, on everything. So with that said, you know, uh, even something small it might, might be difficult to change in, in the future. Uh, we, we would hope that uh, the community would come together and, and try to form consensus around things that are going to be a net positive for everybody. Uh, for example, um, <clears throat> excuse me, for example, new technologies like Schnorr signatures uh, that are going to come up in, 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 the new, in the new software probably in the next 12 to 24 months. Uh, but I guess probably the biggest thing I'd change, uh, you know, cause, uh, and this is going to, of course, be contentious. So that's why I say everything is, every single change is contentious. But uh, so you can't ha not have a non-contentious change. But so the change that I would make then in that regard would be probably the four-year uh, halving cycle. That's a bit too steep. Uh, I think it's a bit too, uh, too big of a shock to the market, in my opinion. Uh, I would probably steepen that off to, you know, may maybe one year, maybe two years, or even an actual even uh, flow where every single block. Um, oh, do you uh, mean a more incremental sort of, but the same sort of rate, but just yes. spread out a little bit further so it's less of a Absolutely. supply shock? Same time. rate, but spread out more evenly uh, across maybe every single block. Yeah. Or even, I wonder, uh, why, I wonder why block. in that case it was made every four years. Uh, you know, I wonder if so, there's anything and, and, and that's the interesting it. thing. Yeah, well, that's the interesting thing about Bitcoin is that, uh, you know, any property, every single property about Bitcoin is really um, not that uh, not that monumental. So what I, what I say by that is that the world itself was, was going to conform to whatever Bitcoin was going to be with that finite supply. So it, it could have been two-year halvings. It could have been eight-year halvings. It, doesn't, it didn't really matter. The, the most, like I said, the most important property was that, was that fixed supply and the ability to validate that in a decentralized manner. So, so with, that, it, with that in there and that being said, then you know, there's, there's nothing that you can actually do, do to change that. Okay, that makes sense. I've never thought of it in that way, but yeah, that makes hundred percent sense. I still, I, I do like the idea of it being more incremental. I think that it, it, it's sort of more of a consistent rate of, of of decline in terms of the emission would be would be nice. I, I, I would love that, <laughs> but like I say, the world would have would have conformed to whatever Satoshi would have put in whatever property. But man, it would have been nice to have some <laughs> slightly less shock to the network. Yeah, exactly. I mean, even just leading up to it. So obviously you've got all the people sort of trying to accumulate more and miners trying to sort of build up their inventory and that, that old saying, you know, uh, buy the rumor, sell the news type of event. When the market knows an event is happening, there's a lot of shenanigans that go on around it. And absolutely. It's that, true. Could be, that could be solved with, uh, well, partly solved with uh, what you proposed there. Okay. Here's one that I was really looking forward to asking you. And that is if you could go back in time, and discover Bitcoin all over again, right? However, one caveat, with the same knowledge that you have now, what would you do differently? Well, of course, as everybody uh, is going to say, we would just buy more coin, uh, right? Just buy a lot more, more coin, like just, just more coin. Because uh, at the end of the day, uh, it, people really think that the hodlers have it easy. They think that we can just, you know, sit here and silently hold through all of these years of these, uh, these big booms and these big busts, like it's just very yeah. easily. 
But in fact, the, the actual reality is, is that it's absolutely extremely difficult to hold Bitcoin for long periods of time because of the volatility of these early days. Now, in the later years, you know, past 2024 into 2028, people would have to worry about this so much. Uh, but these early years, um, and especially into the early days of, you know, 2012, 13, 14, um, every day could have been Bitcoin's last. Like we had, there could have been a bug. There could have been, um, there could have been all sorts of things that could have been wrong. Again, empty gox blew up. There could have been a myriad of things. You know, there was no guarantees, absolutely. And of course, there's still no guarantees today. However, uh, with the amount of battle tested, you know, battle armor that Bitcoin has at this point, being on being on the internet 24 uh, seven, the Lindy effect is absolutely applying to Bitcoin these days, every single day that uh, that it's still there. It, it, that means it's, it's given a bigger chance to still survive the next day. So uh, Bitcoin is at this point, very, very hardened. But, you know, really, in those early days, we, we went from a dollar to $32, you know, back down to $2 and the $200 and then back down to $12 and then, you know, all the way up to 1200 So uh, there's a lot of people out there that that, that think and might uh, have some spite even for for, big, for uh, long-term Bitcoin holders. But really, uh, guys, it, it was absolutely not so easy. Uh, very, very, very difficult and continues to be difficult as we hit more extremes, like from 20K down to 3K. And so, but but there is this this layer of belief that keeps Bitcoin that keeps Bitcoin hodlers holding, right? This this uh, this hodler of last resort, this idea that Bitcoin will have this layer of of people that will never sell because they want something different, uh, and just that alone will, will hold all the way down to a dollar if we have to. Ooh, what a great answer, <laughs> hodlers of, of last resort. I think that's from Trace Mayer, right? That's absolutely right. Have you ever tried your hand at trading? So. So really, um, what, I, what I actually find more fascinating than, than trading and profits and all that kind of stuff is really just um, technical analysis. I find that pretty interesting because it becomes the self-fulfilling prophecy where everybody else is looking at relatively the same charts, and relatively the same patterns. Uh, you end up being able to draw lines and, and um, have probabilities where the price may go. And that to me is just, just kind of endlessly fascinating. There's so many different um, aspects about that that you could study and, and details to go into. Uh, but really, I... I I, I traded a little bit, was terrible at it. Not really that good of a trader. Uh, again, I just kind of find the technical analysis more fascinating. And really, uh, these days, I just do very, 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 very long-term trades. And, um, you know, just beyond dollar cost averaging, just a couple of very long-term trades, like six, eight, nine months long, things like that. Um, and it, very, very rare rare do I trade. It's, it's, um, but I do absolutely keep uh, still paying attention to the technical analysis uh, for the long-term. Uh, the macro is what really interests me the most, more than like the daily, like what the, the price is going to be tomorrow or the next day or an even next month. Uh, prices that, that interest me are six, 12 months out, two, three, five years out. And of course, uh, all the way out uh, using projections like the stock to flow ratio of past the year 2028 and things like that, where Bitcoin's is, uh, is well over, uh, well over millions of dollars. And that, that type of stuff is really fascinating to me. So you don't find yourself having to glance at the price every morning when you wake up or? Well, of course, every single, <laughs> analysis, you know, every single day, we still, we still, we still like to find out what's going on. Uh, that's just, that's just a uh, part of the, uh, it's like waking up in Christmas every single day, figuring out what, what's going to happen. You never know. <laughs> you know maybe, maybe you'll get the thing you want. Maybe you won't. Uh, so that's just the drama part of it. With really the only reason I pay attention to it at this point is the drama. Uh, Cause the price is, you know, when it, um, I, I really, um, I'm a big, uh, I really, I'm more of a macro person. So, so what, what I study a lot is, is trends and, and you know, what's going on in, in the big economy and the bigger picture. And so um, that price does help actually uh, give me some kind, of, some kind of picture of what's going on in the macro. So how did you come about the dates that you mentioned earlier in the podcast? You said by 2024, I think you said, you think that governments will be buying Bitcoin, I think you said. And I think you mentioned another date, 2028. You just mentioned just now something stock flow, stock to flow ratio. 
there's some chart you you're predicting something happening by 2028 what 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 was it around those two dates if you don't mind well, me so I have- so I have a few predictions uh, right yeah. now. Uh, the the price predictions are definitely Bitcoin's going to be uh, well over $100,000 by the end of 2021 based on current stock to flow models, uh, the sharp ratio and historic price uh, discovery for Bitcoin uh, and, you know, going along with these four year cycles. And then um, we're absolutely predicting, you know, lightning to be mainstream by 2024 uh, in, in everybody's phone, like a PayPal app. Uh, and then, of course, um, mainstream in 2024, that's uh, when governments will start holding it as well. Uh, governments and large central banks uh, will absolutely be holding it, maybe publicly, maybe not publicly, but absolutely holding it. And then, of course, by 2028, the game is pretty much over at that point. We're well um, into millions of dollars per Bitcoin. Governments are publicly holding Bitcoin. Uh, no, uh, Bitcoin software is built into every every device that you have, your your laptop, your television, just like uh, Netflix is at, at the moment. Uh, so, um, you know, the ability to actually transact uh, will be much, 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 much easier, uh, easier than we can actually comprehend at this point. It's almost like trying to imagine sort of HK, you know, HD 4K streaming in, in 1995. It's a little bit difficult, but we can sort of, we can sort of grasp uh, w- what that might look like. And that, of course, would be, again, instantaneous streaming payment to uh, any person on the planet, uh, regardless of where your location is. So that is, of course, uh, if that were if that were the case, and that would have that would be a new golden age, a new uh, free economy with with freer trade than we've ever had in the history of this planet. Wow, I love the way you paint that picture. So, what would you say is the most common mistake or misconception when it comes to Bitcoin or the understanding of Bitcoin? The biggest misconception, uh, I, I guess, uh, really, uh, we all have sort of a big mis- misconception at some point of what Bitcoin is, because Bitcoin is so many things. That's why on my profile, I just pretty much say Bitcoin is, uh, because its existence is really <laughs> all that matters. It's really all that matters. You can, you can, you can, you know, um, project your subjective understandings and opinions and, and um, you know, color it however, however you want to do of what Bitcoin is. But at the end of the day, all that matters is that it exists. And as long as it exists, then this planet will be forever changed because this, of course, is the fifth abstraction of money, uh, the, the, um, the, the most abstraction money that we've ever had, the most uh, freest money that we've ever had. So this is something that's completely unprecedented in our human history. So uh, just as existing is going to already do things like uh, keep governments in check, keep central banks in check, um, you know, create, um, uh, start to break down monopolies like the, the dollar, I can never say that word, homogeny, <laughs> the dollar homogeny. Yeah, yeah. So it's already starting to break down, you know, th- things like that. And so um, just this existence is really important. But um, the biggest misconception, I guess, is that probably that people think they understand it. <laughs> There's a nice saying that Andres uh, used to say, and I'll probably mess it up completely, but he said something along the lines, you can't turn this omelet back into eggs. That's right. The, the, the genie is out of the box. You know, Pandora is out of the box. Uh, we, th- this is forever now um, a world uh, post-Bitcoin and pre-Bitcoin. And even uh, Bitcoin is, again, so the most truth that we've ever had, again, in the history of this planet. We've, uh, as, a, as a planet, have never been able to agree on the ledger every single 10 minutes. This is just, again, unprecedented. So uh, th- this will create such a trust that, that, again, something that we've never seen before. So everybody will eventually trust this thing like you wouldn't believe to the point to where instead of Unix time and computer software, we'll probably switch to Bitcoin time uh, because that is, you know, even more truthful than standard uh, ways of measuring time. You know, Bitcoin is something that everybody can agree that it is actually verified. This, this actually did happen. So, you know, Bitcoin will become, it'll evolve, continue to evolve into things that we just can't imagine. But really the big, biggest part about it is trust. You know, the, the, the thing that we've solved is trust, the ability now to, to have to be able to trust this ledger instead of a people, instead of a central bank, instead of a central entity. That is, is, is the invention. And what about people like Peter Schiff with gold? Where, where, what will happen to them? 
Well, metals will always continue to play a place, of co- you know, of course. But uh, there's been many tech companies that have gone, uh, you know, come and gone over the years. You know, people like uh, AOL. There's no way, you know, AOL could ever. Uh, nobody, nobody can ever take over AOL, <laughs> right? Uh, when, when it was at its peak. But yeah, you know, things happen. Trends change. Um, you know, and, and uh, technology evolves. And so, uh, as as Bitcoin evolves and as people evolve with Bitcoin, it'll be a similar again to the internet. That's just the biggest. Um, um, analogy that we can always make with Bitcoin is, is, is look at the history of the internet. So, you know, there was a lot of people that were calling for the internet's demise, right? Uh, a lot of people. And now all of those people um, are absolutely communicating over the internet every single day. And usually their job 100% depends on it, right? So, um, you know, all of the, uh, for example, ed- editors. Yeah, not that biased were, at all. Not biased at all. Right, right? All the claims for, all the claims of the editors that the internet was going to go down, they now, of course, all write out, they all have blogs and they all have Twitter accounts and they all write over it. So really it's just <laughs> what happens to him, he fades away into history, just like all of the other FUD uh, that has come to Bitcoin, that has come and been squashed by Bitcoin. Yeah. True, true. I mean, we had a bit of a scare about the UA, uh, UAS, what UASF time. Um, I remember that it was quite a, yeah, you had to have a lot of beef, belief at the time. And, you know, watching oh, yeah, shows like yours um, and the, what's it, the Bitcoin talk group and watching like people like Tone and Jimmy on, on your show. It helped. It helped. I, it helped me at least anyway. You know, I, I definitely didn't sell. I, I was resolute. I ran my node and I was fully, uh, you know, on the right side of history. And, and I must say those times are very testing. And uh, yeah, you know, and, and I'm pretty sure we will we'll go through a few more of those type of things just in ways we haven't imagined yet. You know, people might even come along and challenge the, the 21 million supp- uh, cap supply. Um, and I think that would be a real battle. Uh, on our hands. Oh, oh yes, we're, that was that was a level one fight. That was level one boss. <laughs> we still have the final boss, and of course, the final boss is the actual government, the state itself, the the central uh, the central banking system, the Bank of International Settlements, uh, the you know the uh, the World Bank, yeah. the IMF. These are the uh, these are the final bosses. Yeah, when there's nothing left to lose, uh, you know things can get really dirty. Uh, so, you know, right now it's almost seen as a. In, insignificant threat you know it's not really something on the radar i, I think at the moment like, like not- i said yeah, well, like i said earlier in the podcast you know until we reach a trillion market cap we are we are just a fly on you know the radar we're, we might not even be on the radar at all until we hit the trillion then we once we hit the trillion then we're going to be on the radar then when we hit the 10 trillion uh then that's when you know governments will, will start thinking about it and 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 as we rise uh, to, to the 1500 trillion dollar mark that's when absolutely governments will absolutely be holding, uh, be holding big, large chunks of Bitcoin uh, at the $100 trillion mark. So in your opinion, or as you wish to put it, what is a Bitcoin maximalist? So unfortunately, uh, there was a term that was coined by a rival blockchain. You know, it, was a, it was coined by Vitalik Buterin, the creator of Ethereum. And so he was, it was just his um, you know, subjective understanding of, of why uh, Bitcoiners continued to uh, Try, try, try to remind people of this unstoppable money, of Bitcoin having this unstoppable property, this property of being unstoppable money. And uh, it, it was um, really uh, the focus of Bitcoin, the focus of Bitcoiners that allowed Bitcoin to be what it is today. And so that was a misunderstanding of the focus of Bitcoin. That was, you know, Vitalik thinking that, oh, just because they think that, uh, that they, they think that everything else is a scam, that they must just be like this maximalist and only believe in Bitcoin because of Bitcoin. But of course, that's not the case. Uh, the case is that most people uh, that are, that are, 
call themselves or that are called uh, claim to be Bitcoin maximalists. You know, they're just people that believe in a sound money. They're just they're just people that believe uh, in in the ability for Bitcoin to be the world's reserve currency. And and really, there's nothing and literally nothing else that's even attempting to try to compete with that. And so, uh, like for me, I try to continue to tell people that uh, the only um, actual uh, Bitcoin dominance chart that you need to worry about is that of the dollar, gold, and Bitcoin. Uh, that's that's the actual dominance chart. The reg Bitcoin yeah. does not compete with the regular cryptocurrencies because Bitcoin is a base money, like gold, like the dollar. Uh, this is a this is a much different type of money or money supplied than things uh, than things like um, uh, securities, right? Other other financial instruments and, sure. and things like that. So. So uh, this is this base money that is Bitcoin, this property of Bitcoin being base money uh, is not something that is shared with any other crypto. It's simply not possible to have base money as any other crypto uh, because, again, almost every other crypto, including Ethereum, can be shut down uh, by a state or by a state actor, or by a government actor. It can absolutely be shut down to the point to where uh, nobody would believe in it enough to hold it. And remember, most of the development right now is at, on Ethereum is actually funded by consensus. So, I mean, if consensus yep. goes away, most of the development of Ethereum goes away. And people don't seem to understand this. So, you know, there, um, Bitcoin, again, to, to wrap it up, Bitcoin maximalist was this term that was the derogatory term that was coined uh, by uh, Vitalik Buterin that some Bitcoin people have, have decided to take up as a mantle and hold as a metal. But me, myself, I've never liked the term. I don't use the term and I don't claim to be a Bitcoin maximalist in any way. I just, I'm, I'm, if anything, you can call me a sound money maximalist. Uh, that, that would be probably the only thing uh, that I would accept because I understand that the, the the reason why we're here is to steal fire from the gods. The reason why we're here is financial sovereignty, is to create a financial system outside of the power of the state, to not have to worry and be enslaved by these centralized systems. And so anything else to me is a joke. And so when you're trying to talk about crypto kitties and, and saving bank fees, you know, uh, <laughs> and with, with blockchain, uh, that's absolutely laughable to, to the actual overall mission that most Bitcoiners and Bitcoin maximalists, quote unquote, are, are, are trying to do. We are trying to change the world to provide this unstoppable money to be able to create a freer world with freer trade than we've ever had in the existence of this planet. So this is this is what's as important. So the, the term Bitcoin maximalist itself isn't even that important. Again, they're just trying to create this focus of this unstoppable money. Boom. I love it. Absolutely love it. You got me all like excited and riled up here. I can't even sit down. <laughs> It's well, you know, Bitcoiners who are pretty passionate people, you know, we're pretty passionate about this stuff, you know, and this is, this yeah. is why we're here. Why, this is what gets us up every single day is this possibility Absolutely. to fix money, you know, because again, I, I tweeted this out. If you can, I believe, truly believe that if you can fix money, uh, you can fix society because money is one of the most important tools of society. If you can fix money, you can truly uh, um, at least attempt to fix society. And, and really that's what uh, is the base of all of this is to be able to make a better world. Absolutely. Couldn't have said it any better. And that's why you're here. So tell me, what new improvements are you most excited about? I know there's so many coming uh, on board over the next couple of months. Uh, SegWit's unlocked a whole plethora of, of new improvements that have been streaming through and proposals. Pips, if you had to just pin it down to one or two, what are the ones that you're keeping an eye out and you can't wait to be, uh, to be incorporated? Really, it's just the, the progress of Lightning is just continuing to boggle my mind to see how many people are getting on board with this. Uh, the big There's a big Lightning conference this fall. It is going to be the world's first uh, Lightning conference. Uh, it's going to be October in Berlin. And I think that that's going to really cement Lightning in the uh, the global sort of um, blockchain economy, so to speak, as, as this thing that is so uh, so amazing and so real. 
uh, because we, you can look at the numbers right now. You can go to 1ml.com. You can see all the businesses. You can look at the, the research done by the block to see the hundreds of companies that is in the Lightning ecosystem right now. But really, with this conference, I think that's going to really um, bring a huge awareness to all of the different companies that is actually making up this Lightning ecosystem. So I guess the Lightning ecosystem itself is, is something that is growing much faster than I anticipated. And uh, there's many, many companies uh, that are incorporating this technology. So I guess that's probably the, the technology that I'm most exciting, uh, excited about because it's, it's a, it's a dual edged sword there. It's, it's, um, it's, uh, Bitcoin's scaling solution as well as Bitcoin's privacy solution because this is encrypted by default a lot like uh, Tor nodes, a lot like Tor data, uh, and even uh, similar to confidential tr tr transactions being run on the Liquid network where nobody, no party can actually see the encrypted data in the transaction except for the, the party who's sending it and the party who's receiving it, the end party who's receiving it. So, um, that that's going to be just a huge, huge win. People are not going to understand, you know, a lot of big, a lot of my big predictions about Bitcoin in the future revolve around a scaling solution like, 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 um, like lightning network taking place and taking hold. And so, um, without that Bitcoin will mostly be a, a central, um, sort of a clearing system, but, uh, with, with these layers above, you know, like similar to the OSI model that we've built with the internet and, 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 Ethernet. If we can build this multi-layer approach, which is what the world is doing, especially with Lightning, uh, we can build huge amounts of infrastructure above the base layer, uh, layer after layer, and create more and more utility that just complete that complements the stack overall. So, um, just really excited about Lightning. That's going to be the ticket that's going to take us really to the next level. I couldn't agree more. When I first heard about Lightning back in, I think it was, it might have been late 2015 actually, or early, somewhere around there. And how I saw it was somebody posted something on Reddit as giving a, first of all, giving a hint about, uh, about Lightning. And then somebody else posted another uh, a post saying, I'm going to explain Lightning to you with an analogy of a cowboy walking into a, a saloon or something like this. And it was an amazing little story they gave about how this, this person, uh, like there's different little sh uh, shops or little stalls in a, in a small little Western town, like back in the day, you know, and how this person, and there's a ledger and how things would work. And it was amazing. And I was just like, this is never going to happen. I mean, they, it's so abstracted in its description right now that it's just never going to happen. Like this must be 10 or 20 years away, you know, as much as I love Bitcoin and I was fully on board at that stage, I was like, oh man, this is not going to happen. And over the next uh, couple of months, as the, the debate uh, got worse and worse between the, the, the big blockers and the, um, the Segwit camp, I mean, Segwit, I don't even think was being mentioned at that time yet. Segwit came a little bit later, but it just seems so far-fetched that we would ever go down the route of having another layer on top of Bitcoin. And then suddenly it all just came together and it was just like, is this real? Like pinching myself. I still remember I was traveling overseas. I was in South Africa at the time. And I remember actually them like releasing the protocol and, and all that stuff uh, with um, Elizabeth Stark and that incredible and what they've done there and how fast the pace that they've been doing the releases and, and improving it. It's just unbelievable. It's mind blowing. Uh, the only thing I can think of is that it's such a pity that we were set back like a year or two 
Well, well, Bitcoin had to prove itself. You know, we had to we had to prove the censorship resistance. We had to prove the democracy, or well, the uh, we had to prove that the, the the consensus of the validation of the nodes. We had to prove that that actually works. And so that you know we, we needed to do that uh, at some point. So it might as well, of course, have been at that time. But yeah, it wasn't really until 2017 that I even started foreseeing uh, Lightning as this overall interoperable application layer that sits above Bitcoin uh, that can actually connect uh, every, and interconnect every other type of blockchain that, that that actually wants to use the internet of money that is Bitcoin with its security and liquidity, you know, that is going to be um, the, the connection that everybody else uh, connects into, the plugin that everybody else plugs into to be able to use uh, Bitcoin if you're going to use something other than Bitcoin's base layer. So it's it's going to be vastly, vastly important to to be this, this connection hub that everything else is going to plug into. Because uh, Lightning really, um, you know, you can really describe it as that really is peer-to-peer Bitcoin. Because Bitcoin itself actually isn't peer-to-peer. You know, it's actually, um, you know, you send your tr- transaction and it goes to, you know, a, a node that gets validated and then mined. Uh, but but actually, um, uh, with Lightning, you actually open up, a, you can open up a channel directly between two parties. And that really is peer-to-peer. That really is essentially a, a, a peer-to-peer Absolutely. money. And what, what it does, you know, what it really, really what the Lightning Network is, is it's just a network of unsigned Bitcoin transactions. It's just, they are real Bitcoin transactions of real sats flying around. It's just that they haven't actually been, you know, confirmed on the ledger yet until you want to settle. So they are Bitcoin transactions, just unconfirmed, really no different than putting Bitcoin in like an open dime and, and putting that in your drawer. You know, it, yes. it technically, you know, technically that's locked up, quote unquote, right? Locked up, but it's absolutely real Bitcoin that you can use yeah. at any point in any time that you want to do. Now this other crypto that's come along or strange white paper that came about two years ago, I think it was, Mimblewimble, also with a, a similar sort of uh, history to Bitcoin in, in terms of it having a anonymous sort of uh, creator. What are your thoughts on, on that? Do you think there's any chance that that could be Satoshi or the group of people known as Satoshi? Or do you think... I mean, so really to me... Um it's just another example of the power of the internet, uh, the ability to just dead drop amazing technology right here, completely anonymous for the world to use. Uh, so to me, it's just, uh, when I read that, I, when I look at that story, I just look at the power of the internet itself. This is the power of true democratization of information uh, that the internet allows for. And now um, in this next phase of the internet, uh, really we call it like the third phase, third wave of the internet, um, now it's going to be in the financial realm. Now we're going to actually get into some real uh, economics where it's not just the democratization of information, it's actually the democratization of financialization. And that is going to be, be huge. So, you know, Mimbo Wimble uh, just represents to me a, another phase of the internet uh, of people creating this amazing unstoppable technology. And that's pretty cool to see. Uh, do I have any, uh, you know, um, inklings of something to be able to replace Bitcoin, you know, or anything like that in the future being dead dropped? Absolutely not. I mean, you obviously cannot uh, recreate the immaculate conception that was Bitcoin because when Bitcoin was created, there was no other Bitcoin. So uh, there was no other blockchain or anything like that. So nothing can actually be repeated in that organic way. Uh, but it's, so to me, it's just, it's kind of like a cool little gift. Um, uh, and it is a Marxist and Marxist uh, and in the next phase of where we're headed uh, into this new, this new world. Now that we put the second piece together where the first piece again was this uh, information the second piece now is money when you combine this now in digital um, digitally uh, that is just this unprecedented thing it's it's the end result of the telegraph right uh, this is the end of um, the final uh, taking to its logical conclusion of telecommunications the telecom industry now taking to its logical conclusion with with the inclusion of, of financial networks like bitcoin so um 
what do I see Grin as? Again, just sort of like a cool little technology. Um, uh, some people saw it as a way to get rich. Of course, there's always many more yeah. opportunities. Uh, some people probably did get rich off of it. You know, uh, uh, there's always opportunities in, in this space to, to go ahead and try to do things, uh, new things. And that, that's really great to see. The experimentation is great to see. Uh, what's just a bit unfortunate is just um, people, uh, you know, pe- people thinking that it's anything more than, an, than another altcoin. Yeah. The only, the only thing that I enjoyed about it was the whole um, Harry Potter, <laughs> the French names in Harry Potter and that. And I just thought it, it, was, it was intriguing, you know, the whole anonymous. Oh, it, abs- it absolutely will be put to use, you know, somehow, some way in the I'm future. Sure it's some, of the bits and, yeah, some of the bits of the privacy and that might be added to Bitcoin or whatever, or used in another bit at a later stage or something like that. Or, or at another layer, a transactional yeah. layer, maybe, maybe layers above. Yeah, who knows? Who knows, eh? So coming towards the end here, Vortex, and it's been great so far, hyper-Bitcoinization. And I, I don't need to ask you whether you think it might happen or not. Well, maybe, perhaps. Uh, I, can, I can definitely elaborate more on it. <laughs> you could do a bit of like sign language. <laughs> and you've even given out the dates in that. But um, in terms of the way it was written, and I think it was Daniel, gosh, his, his last name has... Um, it slipped my mind now. The, the guy who wrote, uh, do you remember his name? Hyper Bitcoinization, that article he wrote back in the day. Sure. So it was, um, I believe that was Daniel Krawitz uh, who might have written that, uh, but uh, it was on the Satoshi Nakamoto Institute, which still to this day has amazing articles. Yes, exactly. So, I mean, the way they, they wrote it is people ended up sort of, I think, uh, borrowing to buy Bitcoin and, and creating sort of like a loop where uh, Bitcoin, well, hyper Bitcoinization. Do you think that is that is, uh, is something which is plausible and it's, it's a reality that we could could be faced with? Or? Yeah, so what, what I think is that, you know, this is going to play out over decades. I say this all the time, you know, on my podcast, on my show, that this is not going to happen instantaneously. Hyper-Bitcoinization is not going to happen anytime soon. There will still be uh, state power or state-controlled uh, currencies for probably at least, you know, decade plus to come. I mean, it could be, it could be 10, 20, could be 50 years out. Uh, because this is really, like I say, going to play out over decades. So the, this transition of power is not going to happen very, very, very quickly. Uh, it, what is what it's going to happen is it's going to be slow, right? Uh, and then it's going to happen all of a sudden. So it's going to take a while to get that all of a sudden. That could be decades, decades out. So uh, these these currencies uh, like the dollar and whatever is going to replace it next will absolutely still be going up against Bitcoin for a while into the future. They're going to play different roles. Uh, they're going to have different benefits and for different people. So you know you, we can't just do a one size fits all instantly, and uh, you know then would be no different than the dollar itself trying to take over the world, right? So uh, so Bitcoin itself will continuously organically grow and become bigger and bigger and bigger because all it knows how to do is eat. That's literally its only job is to eat fiat is to continuously consume liquidity uh, because there is again nothing else on this planet or in this universe that is going to be as uh, finite as as bitcoin except time so people will continuously realize this and continuously try to get more value out of it so eventually yes we could have this debt cycle where people just borrow 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 to to get more bitcoin uh, because it'll always be easier to borrow fiat than it is to borrow a harder money Uh, but if you do take that to its logical logical conclusion then yes that could lead to hyper bitcoinization but again that would be decades out, even if Bitcoin, you know, again, even if governments are holding, even if Bitcoin is millions and millions of dollars into the hundred trillion dollar market cap by 2028, even if it does do that, it's, it's, it's still, there's still going to be uh, other, other things like fiat and, 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 um, 
uh, metals that are still going to uh, hold percentages of the world's wealth. So that's important, you know, to take a, to take into account. Of course, Bitcoin is going to grow many more thousands of percents before before this is over. But that doesn't mean that the central banks or the governments aren't going to still try to con, uh, control some part of the financial system, even if that's a little tiny little option on the side uh, of a website that you check with a button. Government fiat or, uh, you know, free, free currency, Bitcoin, the free world's, uh, the people's currency, Bitcoin, that everybody else accepts anyway by default, uh, there'll still be that little, probably that little extra circle to use a government fiat for, for some time to come. Free market money, right? Free market money, like, like, and, and this free market money, make no mistake, will, you know, will be like a brick wall when everything goes up against it. It will absolutely crash. So any of these, there's, there's going to be tons of government uh, crypto blockchains and government cryptocurrencies that are going to come out over the next decade. There's going to Libra. be, uh, there's going to be uh, corporate currencies like Libra. There's going to be all these things that are going to come out and, but it will all crash like a freaking car on a brick wall up against the sound money. That is the unstoppable money that big, that is Bitcoin. But that is such a slow crash that that crash can play out over decades. Oh man, I tell you what, everybody needs to take at least one tablet of Vortex every day just to remind <laughs> us why Bitcoin is so freaking awesome. Really, 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 really cool, man. So tell us as we wind up here, what have you got going on uh, over the next coming months? Are you going to be attending any conferences? You mentioned the Lightning Network one and I think you said in Germany, are you, are you going there? Tell, tell people where they can find you and reach you. Sure. So, um, yeah, the Light Network Conference is going to be great. I wish I could make that one, but that is going to be a little bit farther away from me. I do have a prior engagement around that time. Uh, they just only announced that, I think, a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago. Yeah. Uh, so that's actually a relatively new announcement. Uh, so definitely check that out if you guys can make it in Berlin. Uh, but for me, what I'll be doing is uh, mostly just doing my, my CryptoCast YouTube channel. It is a, um, a community-supported YouTube channel, so there is a donation link. We don't actually accept sponsors or anything like that because I think that would essentially just drown out the message of what we're, yeah. what we're trying to really uh, bring to the table here. And so you can definitely find our support link and our um, Bitcoin address to support us at uh, cryptocast.network. And of course, you can find the YouTube uh, channel just by searching cryptocast uh, network. And then all of my work uh, and where you can find where I'll be uh, is going to be at uh, theonevortex.com. Uh, you can find out which conferences I'll be attending. I don't actually travel that much, but the ones that I do attend and or speak at uh, will absolutely be there on the website uh, the, at the, theonevortex.com. All spelled out the one vortex.com. And of course, uh, all my content can be found on Twitter. Uh, that's where I spend the majority of my time, probably probably too much time uh, at the one vortex all spelled out. Yeah. And absolutely. We're going to put that all in the links below uh, on all the different platforms, including the donation addresses for vortex there. Uh, it's a community driven venture and he is hell bent on keeping it that way, which I support. Uh, and I'd really appreciate it if you guys can show your support and, and uh, yeah, send some love in his way. Vortex, Thanks it's so much. been an absolute pleasure and honor having you on. I look forward to talking to you again, hopefully when Bitcoin has doubled in value. And if it hasn't, it doesn't matter. I still want to talk to you again because I need to be reminded how cool Bitcoin is. And I think everybody needs to be reminded and have at least one cup full of Vortex per day. <laughs> <laughs> I would I would also recommend it. Hopefully be able to see you at a having party uh one one of these times, man. Hopefully next year or maybe even uh the one after that. <laughs>